0: Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point.
1: Good morning, Rachel. Good afternoon. You know, today we've got an interesting guest, and I love it when we get technical. Today we're going to talk to Dmitry Bistujev, and he's the senior director of cyber threat intelligence at BlackBerry. You know, and prior to BlackBerry, Dmitry was part of the head of Kaspersky's global research analysis team where he oversaw the company's experts in anti-malware development working in the region. And, you know, he's seen a lot of different things from a nation state and how they attack. But he spent 20 years just in IT security in just different roles. I'm excited today to kind of talk to, uh, talk to him and learn from him about this field of expertise and just what we're learning in fraud and profile attacks we're seeing in governments and everything. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it off to you, Dimitri. Anything I missed there that you want to share about your background or research? What are you currently working on?
2: Yes, thank you very much, Petko, and it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, nowadays it's so hard. You see, the threat landscape is getting even like more and more weird in terms of uh the threat actors, also tools or weapons that they use, like financially motivated threat actors and nation states. They rely more and more on the same tooling so that makes our life like a cti researchers a little bit harder cuz uh, you know that line is l- like really blur you know right now uh, who's behind each attack so we are tracking those attackers targeting worldwide all the regions it uh, doesn't matter if they speak spanish russian chinese or english or french language in We convert that knowledge or that information uh, from the technical point of view into something actionable you can take and you can use like uh, with very specific actions to test your capabilities in prevention, detection, response, recovery. So that is about the work uh, I do. My team we do together.
1: You're talking about cyber threat intelligence. Right, Dimitri? Like, what does that usually entail? I mean, we hear about threat intelligence and we think about speeds and fees, but I think it's more than that. Like, what? How do you define CTI?
2: Well, CTI, it's a discipline or it's a knowledge, let's say, which must be always converted into something actionable and not only uh, feeds, IOCs, hashes, domains and so uh, because you need the context. So if you want to have an effective uh, CTI program, you need to know the context, which will help you to anticipate those attacks against you specifically, not against even like the, the industry that anticipation must be also very specific, like not only who will attack me and why, but how. How is the question as well to answer. So it's who, how, when, so what. All that information must be answered in a CTI report by means of different sections, sometimes just like a high-level information, mid-level information, very low-level information. And the idea is to convert it into those uh, four subtypes of CTI. It's uh, strategical, tactical, technical, and also operational. So all of them, board, system network administrators, um, instant response teams, SOC or blue team, uh, defenders in general, they might have everything needed on their level to, to anticipate those attacks, to test their capabilities, or like, to, is, is it the case over the board, to know what's coming, uh, how much funds like will we need, uh, what are the risks versus impact. So it's not about traditionally speaking like uh, feeds and all those things we, we know every day. It's a part of it.
1: Is it about like honestly informing the defense infrastructure for CISO or CIO? Like here's what we're seeing in the wild, do we have protections against that is, is that how, where you're focused right. on currently
2: yeah right so um we we have attacks in the wild right so those attacks in the wild uh can't be seen as just like i say oh it's malware oh it's been used like that way but who is behind it why how so that information is transfer uh is worked on and then transformed into reports. Those reports are also connected to the industries, connected to the origins of the attackers' motivations. And then that that information, technical and also uh, high-level information, yes, the companies, they need to test first. Do they have protection? It means their products, current products they use, are they uh, designed? to stop those attacks? Yes or no? If no, can we detect it? It means, do we have even like a visibility, enough visibility to to say, okay, we can protect, but we can detect because we'll have logs. Yes or no? Or maybe it's an attack, maybe it's a tool, maybe it's a technique used to um, even like out of protection scope uh, by the customer. So uh, all of that, it's, it must be always practical. Like CTI must be practical. If it's not practical, it's uh, it's not really about CTI. It's about malware analysis only.
1: Can you put, give us some ex- recent examples of how organizations can use CTI that, to make it practical or how users can use it to make it practical?
2: Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we've seen recently um, many attacks, uh, you know, the geopolitics and the war in Ukraine. So the threat actors behind it targeting Ukraine, they also began uh, targeting NATO uh, members by means of uh, impersonification of a software which is used by NATO members supporting ukraine so what we provide is uh uh, to our customers our uh, cti customers it's a it's a it's a like document with the the information like for example summary that is about What happened, when, how, and always like the rule, it's a bottom line up. Then brief MITRE attack information. Then it's a technical analysis about weaponization and just technical overview. about uh, the initial attack vector, about network infrastructure. That is about also targets. And attributions along with conclusions. Conclusions like so what? What should I do? And appendixes, technical appendixes. It's IOCs applied countermeasures, and detailed detailed mitre attack mapping. So for a real customer, it's like okay, this is happening. I'm not sure even if I was attacked or not. Let's do a threat hunting. How? Okay, we got sigma rules we got suricata rules so we can see if on the uh, endpoint level like behavior do we see any matches based on the sigma rules or uh, suricata rules all right so let's go to the network level and see do we have any malicious traffic behavior on the malicious traffic like uh, the one described in this or that attack or yara rules okay so what about files those files which are running in my system Is there any similarity, any connection so I can practically hunt or if I know I was infected, I can respond to the attack. But with the context, I know what I'm looking for. I know how it behaves. I know what is the motivation. So I can mitigate it completely. When I understand that, let's say the target was uh, like government secrets or military secrets. So I should assume that if that information was compromised, so the operations were also compromised, I mean, in the field, everywhere. So the countermeasures and these case to, for the recovery must be not just oh let's change the passwords you know or let's revoke the accesses it's like about understanding that the whole thing probably like real life things was uh it was also compromised so that helps to to be like very specific very concrete you know to to take like super good actions which will have a positive effect in real life and in my cyberspace
1: Dimitri, I'm, I'm thinking back to when I was operating on a SOC, and we would take some of these reports, and we would, you know, think we blocked it at the endpoint. And next, thing you know, we actually didn't realize, but they had gotten to the Active Directory server, and they've actually, you know, copied certain files that would release your username and passwords. So we didn't just have to clean up one endpoint; we had to clean up all our username and passwords and reset them all. And with with service accounts, and everything, you know, so I love it that you're working at the tip of the spear and just constantly seeing what's new, what's the latest. Um, from a, I, I know at the corporate level we're doing, you know, cyber threat intelligence, is there something that you're seeing around personal attacks or what, what individuals, I mean, we've got lots of folks traveling now. Is there something they should be aware of?
2: yeah absolutely yeah and also that that is like another ecosystem with uh, many threat actors targeting in different ways so sometimes it can be just uh traditionally speaking like financially motivated malware it depends on the region where i where you're coming from so the threat actors will also change uh but for the travelers you know uh, many times what we face is like you're running low like your battery is running low so it's very common to see people at the airport looking for a charging station and you know to plug your phone in and to be like, oh, it's like you know, like a heaven, you know, a paradise like for your cell phone and uh Why can't the, I plug the, my
1: cell phone in. I, I I need to, you know, I gotta get my juice. Why can't I plug my cell phone and charge it?
2: Yeah, you can, you know, like and everybody does that. But there is a risk, a real risk. It's not about uh Uh, you know, like theories. It's about something called um, juice jacking. So juice jacking is a malicious technique which helps or enables the attacker by means of physical connections uh, through the uh, USB-like cables connecting the device. It can be any device. It can be a, a cell phone. It can be Apple. It can be Android, whatever. Or it can be a tablet. But each time such device is connected to that malicious station, or compromise station, uh, there is a, a, an opportunity for the attacker to not just charge the battery of the phone or tablet, but also by means of enabling a data transfer mode to manipulate the device, to steal something, to install something. So it's about, it's a dual use. It's not just, you know, charging batteries. It's about also uh, like a straight access to the device for whatever malicious reason. Yeah, because I think most
1: of us, when we charge our phones, we'll let it sit there for a little bit. Later on, we'll pick it up. I'll start using it, unlock it. And by us unlocking it, I, I think I've seen this a couple of times. You're, you're, you get asked, do you want to grant access to this USB cable, let's say? or Indeed. And, and you're like, well, of course I want power. And sometimes you don't <laughs> get power until after you grant access. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. it's, But what you just did is you didn't just give you know get power you also now gave that usb cable and whatever's on the other end full access to your operating system on your phone and your contacts potentially there and everything else that goes into it is that just for I mean, you mentioned it's also android and iphones i guess it's all devices right
2: yeah actually if the even if the phone is running on linux but the thing will be the same because it's like even a low-level attack first. So it's a, it's a physical cable unless you block specifically data transfer with blockers, special blockers. Is that like a physical blocker? Like a physical? Indeed, okay. yes. So yeah. it's not software. It's,
1: it's something that you'd have uh-huh. to use between your phone or your device and the USB to ensure that only the power comes in and not the data.
2: Okay. In, yes, yes. So such a blocker, it's it's a must, you know, to have it with you when you're traveling. Even if you're just connecting to, I don't know, like uh, inside of the uh, aircraft, uh, why not to use that? You know, why Why even like to run the risk of exchanging your data with any terminal? Why? Because what you're looking for is not to synchronize anything. You don't want to synchronize anything. You want just electricity. So why to run the, like that risk even... Like, to think that probably might be or might not, but your device would be, um, you know, sending or receiving data. It's like, what for? Dimitri, you just said
1: something that I just didn't realize, and I wonder if the audience caught on it. We always think about the airports and charging your phone there, but what about the airplane?
2: Well, you see those computers, like in front of us, uh, sometimes people say, oh, it's an entertainment system, or it's a, it's a justice seat it's something like, but in reality, it's a computer. It can be, um, like in the past, I saw uh, those flying terminals running on Linux. Now we see more and more, it's uh, Android uh, behind it, so... The question is, can they be manipulated, infected, or whatever? Yes, of course they can. And in the end, it's a, it's a, it's an operational system, so it can install stuff, it can copy stuff, so it can do things. So it's not about like connecting yourself onto the, uh, you know, AC just like pure AC. If you do that, it's fine. But if you connect through a USB cable to that system, you get to understand there is always a risk.
1: Yeah, I'm just, I'm just so it's almost like those ATMs. I mean, I think years ago, or probably still happening, is you have these, you know, where they would try to they would put something on top of the machine that actually scans your ATM card or your credit card to get a copy of it. But the same thing could happen on an airplane or in a you know airport where you think it's a US regular USB power station, but they put something on top of it to hijack it, if you will, and it could be months before they realize it even.
2: Yes, indeed. And uh, the problem is, like, while you're flying, who knows if also, like, another passenger pro- connected to the same network. I mean, Wi-Fi network can be also like a malicious attacker, you know, just scanning the network, trying to see who's connected. Uh, so that computer, which is in charge, like one computer was in charge of the entertainment, it's also a host. Mm-hmm. It's a host inside of the network. Everybody is connected, even if it's a malicious like malicious traveler. Let's call him like that. Uh, So it can be also compromised and then who knows, like what are the like further actions, like next steps uh, he or she may take. I was just looking
1: at the amount of uh, folks that are going through TSA security in a certain day. We're now back to pre-COVID and it's about 2.5, 2.6 million a day (laughs) that go through TSA security. Let's make the assumption that all of those end up on an airplane. Now you have 2.6 million people sitting in airplane seats every single day. And it, it just takes one of them to change one seat or two seats, you know, here and there. And next, you know, it's propagating.
2: Yes, yes. And uh, some probably would say, OK, but how to exfiltrate that data? Well, we have also Internet on board. So it's uh, there, there is a link so you can use it. So there, there are many ways, you know, just not only to steal information, but also to exfiltrate it for malicious threat actors. So. It's, it's a way better if we use just a traditional socket, you know, like electricity, like AC socket. So, in fact, we have them. Uh, we have them at the airport. We have them uh, usually at, like on the bottom of the uh, seat, which is in front of you. So, use them instead of like USB, right? Or if you use a USB cable, uh, well, use a data blocker, like physical data blocker, which connects basically between that port between your cable and then it's 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 a physical block so the circuit, the electronic circuit, it's preventing data transfer uh in any direction. So bring your
1: own charger. If you don't have your own charger, bring your own blocker. (laughs) (laughs) And yes. Hopefully. Well Mm -hmm. that that's just I mean, I'm assuming that's just iPhone and Android. I mean what are there other attacks you're seeing that's on the other personal devices? Like I, I think you and I were talking about Mac OS has become much more prevalent. I mean, is that true?
2: Yes, it's it's true. And it's proven by telemetry. It's proven by the analysis we have. And uh, essentially, it's about um, targeting macOS users, especially those who invest in cryptocurrencies. And uh, the main cluster behind it, it's Lazarus, uh, Lazarus Group, uh, which belongs uh, publicly attributed to North Korea, and there is a group called Apple Juice. They uh, are—they have been like actively targeting macOS users by means of social engineering first, just seeding malicious, like purely malicious, you know, uh, websites on the internet, providing. Supposedly like information for exchange, you know, when someone wants to cash out or just to convert the cryptocurrency into another cryptocurrency, Uh, even like security tools. So they do like a very hard, uh, you know, uh, job and even like uh, infecting people through LinkedIn, sending them CVs, like a job offers to work, uh, you know, like a cybersecurity expert in cryptocurrency industry. And the, the point is like once infected, yeah, they still uh, they lose wallets. And for the cryptocurrency investors, it's a real risk because the impact is uh, it's, 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 it's everything. You can just lose all your investments, all your funds just because your Mac is infected. Are you
1: seeing, I mean, I can understand the financial motivation for the crypto side. Is there other things that they're looking for from the financial motivation standpoint?
2: Yeah, that's uh, a good example of that. It's the latest 3CX attack. We remember that it's a voice over a P company. So they were compromised and then a malicious update was deployed to every, everybody, like basically everyone in the world. Uh, and it was not only for Windows, but also Mac users. So uh, we call it as a supply chain attacks, right? Again, it was North Korea behind it. So imagine if in, even if you say, well, I don't have cryptocurrencies and I'm a, like a very good uh, security expert, but if you use any third-party app, and we use them, so uh, we get to be ready for a supply chain attack. So when you receive an update, and that update can be anything inside, so it's a it's an implant, which can be used like for as a backdoor. It can be used like a, I don't know, like a ROT remote access tool. It can be anything. It depends on the motivation of the attacker. Well, I'm curious,
1: like like what can Mac OS users do to prevent these type of attacks? Like how do you safeguard it? Because you talked about updates. So I don't update or should I update?
2: Well, yeah. Traditionally speaking, we always teach, right? People we say, yeah, sure, install updates because that's how you fix vulnerabilities. And that is right. I mean, the, that's is right? It's not a mistake. Uh, we all need to, we must install updates. But it's different when your uh, software vendor or any of the software you use, uh, it, it was compromised. So you receive, even like sometimes even in a fully automated mode, your update, it's not even something you uh, accepted or not accepted. It's just automatic. It, it was installed and that's it. Um, so for macOS users, it's challenging. It's completely, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a challenge even comparing to Windows users because. On Windows, we have so many tools, even like for hunting, you know, for monitoring. On Mac, usually it's like internal commands, native commands. There are some tools also like very well, like nice tools by uh, Objective by the C company. It's uh, also free. You can download it and use it. Uh, That's fantastic. But usually for... Uh, those like MacOS users, it's, it's really hard to find out if they infected or not. So here is the combination of things. It's about using threat intelligence, yes, monitoring network because in most cases, if you got an implant installed, of course there should be communication with the C2, external C2. So get a better visibility over network. your connections, especially outgoing connections, not, not incoming connections, but what is traveling from my computer to outside. And have a uh, context, context about those uh, hosts, IPs, URL. Try to to understand, check, grab and check also user agents because if your computer is connecting, let's say, with a remote host which you think is not malicious, but let's say there is a user agent in in use which does not belong to you, you don't have such browser in in your system, but it says like this is the like the 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 system like the uh, the user agent that used. So in this case, it will be also like a red flag.
1: So we just have to be proactive and know what's in our systems. I guess it goes back to know what's on your laptop, know what, it's, what applications are doing there, and, and be paranoid, <laughs> you know.
2: Right, right. And uh, the good thing, you can also use Yara rules uh, on macOS. So you run them, it's the same. You can write or use those Yara rules not only for the disk, but also for the memory, like commands. You know, those commands, which usually are malicious, it's, it's very easy to spot in the memory because everything is unpacked. Uh, so it's also great. I would also recommend it.
0: And I hate to do this, but we are at the end of today's podcast. This is such a great conversation with Petco and Dimitri that we're going to pick back up for part two next week. To all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining this week. And for our new listeners, welcome. And if you're enjoying the conversation, please subscribe. We're on all major podcast platforms. Until next week, everyone, stay secure. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast brought to you by Point. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com/govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher.